0: Hey, Generation Church, we welcome you and invite you to encounter Jesus with us. We believe that through Him, we will encounter love and discover our purpose. So take a seat, lean in, and let this message fortify your faith. I want to share with you uh, something kind of special. There There were three sons that left home, and they went out on their own and prospered. And getting together for Christmas, they discussed the gifts that they were going to be able to give their elderly mother. And the first said, uh, I built a big house for our mother. And the second one said, well, I sent her a Mercedes. And the third one smiled and said, I've got you both beat this time. You remember how much mom enjoyed reading the Bible? And, and you know, she can't, she can't see very well. So I sent her a remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. (laughs) It took the elders in the church 12 years to teach him. He's really one of a kind. Mom, all she's got to do is, is say the chapter and the verse, and the parrot will recite the Scripture. Remarkable, huh? Soon thereafter, mom sent out her letters to thanks of, to her to her son. She said, Dear Milton, she wrote one son, the house you built, it's nice, but it's too big. I live only in one room, but I mean I have to, you know, I have to clean the whole house now. So she said, Thanks. Dear Gerald, she wrote to, to the other one, I'm too old to travel. So I stay at home most of the time, so I rarely use the Mercedes. But she said, thanks. Dearest Donald, she wrote to her third son, you have a good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. Yeah. Poor chicken. (laughs) <laughs> well some you just make up you know no just kidding so um you know when jesus was born in bethlehem shifting gears it's not funny it's, it's yeah <laughs> you know really satan could not understand the big to do you know you have angels flying around the sky and they're all singing glory to the highest and they were declaring that Christ the Lord has been born. There's a Savior that's been born. He's called Christ the Lord. So, you know, really he thought, what is the big deal? He said, you know, I, I can cut this individual down whenever I want. He didn't know who he was. So he sent out, he, he, he inspired uh, Herod to go ahead and, and um, send out and, and uh, kill all the children two and under. But what he didn't know is that God had a man-child born on the earth, and this individual, his son, was willing to strip himself of all of his, of his royal power, of his divinity, and become like a man. But what the devil did not know was that this man-child would soon grow up to destroy all the works that he has done, and so in that, after the Holy Spirit came upon him, he realized his worst nightmare—that this baby that he didn't really, you know, make a, a big deal about, had been born, had been born many years ago, was going to rise up and was going to destroy him. And in that, Jesus's primary purpose when he came in 1 John 3.8, he came to destroy the works of the devil. It's what he came to do, to undo everything that he had done on planet earth. And he was willing to do whatever it took, any means to get it done. 1 John 3.8 says this, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's his primary purpose. So, But I believe that for us to, to fully appreciate and understand what our Savior has done, we have to understand that we have a, a, a rock-solid, nail-in-a-sure-place hope. We have a hope for our salvation that Jesus paid for us. He's paid for our hope that we might live in hope, have an expect, expectation of, A future good in our lives. We have a hope that is going to be established for us forever and ever and ever. It's never going to be taken away. He's never going to change his mind. He's never going to think, you know what, you've really messed up. You've really crossed the line. You've, You've You struggled, you were weak, you gave in, it's over with. He's never, ever going to change his mind. And this is an anchor to our soul that holds us secure when all else is going wrong. When we can't make sense of anything on planet Earth right now, we can establish our assurance in the hope of our salvation. It's not going to be taken away. Ever. So we're going to be, let me just say this right now. I want you to look around everybody in this room. You better get used to the people in this room. Because you're going to be with them forever. I mean, that's a long time. Think about it each other forever. You mean it's you again? I've seen you, you know, it's 5,000 years and it's all of a sudden. So we've got to realize that we have a blessed hope in our Savior that has paid the price that we will live forever and ever and ever. So, but to fully appreciate this, I think we need to kind of like look backwards a little bit. And we really need to realize that this it was very costly for our Savior. This was something that, that was so costly, unimaginable, what He experienced for us to have a hope. And, and when we begin to begin to understand, and we fully then can appreciate our own salvation. We know that we are saved. The joy of our salvation. So I, what I want to kind of begin to highlight today, is I want us to see what Jesus did to redeem mankind. How he went before each of you on the cross, how he suffered the full curse of the law, which is poverty, sickness, and spiritual death for you. He experienced it all, and how he became sin and suffered in your place, suffered in your place which is really the most incredible truth that we will, we will have forever to realize that he suffered in our place, that we might be with him forever. So in the garden, Jesus, in Mark 13, 34, Jesus said this, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He said, Remain here and keep watch. Here we realize there's something in Jesus' mind that is so tragic, and it's not physical death. I don't think Jesus was really concerned about dying physically. I think the horrendous, the horrible thought in his mind was that he was going to be separated from his father. He was going to be separated from the one that he loved, the one that he communed with, and in that separation is what gripped his heart. to the point that he sweat blood. The understanding that basically he was uh, uh, pouring out blood out of his pores was the agony that he realized that he was going to suffer, which was the separation from his father. So, So his suffering, he knew it was coming soon. And this was something, a reality that he had to lay hold of and understand and know for him to go forward. He was willing to drink the cup, the willingness of his father. So through the three years of his ministry, there was no way that that Satan could get Jesus to sin. He tried many times. He tried to set him up. He tried to get him to stumble to fall into sin. But there was no sin in Jesus. And Satan could not lay any claim to him. That I got him. He messed up. He couldn't lay any claim that he stumbled in sin. So when the, when the time came for Jesus to be betrayed. He said in John 12:31, Now judgment is upon this world. And now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The word judgment in the Greek is crisis, which starts spelling with a K, crisis. And what that literally means is, it's called turning point. So what Jesus was saying is that now is the turning point. The turning point has come, and I'm going to cast the prince of this world out. It It was a major shift that was getting ready to take place. It was basically game on. It was a a moment in time when all of a sudden, Jesus was going to step in and do what he was made to do, and that was kick him out of the world. So after a mock trial, Jesus was sentenced illegally, and he was crucified. And Jesus had surrendered to his father's plan. He was nailed to a cross, and he hung there suspended between heaven and earth. And darkness, it says, covered the land for three hours. You could not see anything for three hours. And that was the moment in which I believe his father turned his, his face. He turned away from his son, and he experienced for three hours the agony of this separation between he and his father. Isaiah 53.5 says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. Isaiah saw all of this, which is amazing that he had this spiritual revelation of Jesus long before it ever took place. And not even, not even the people around the cross could see all that Jesus was suffering when those three hours occurred. Darkness filled the sky, And in that moment, I don't think any human being could bear the agony that Jesus experienced in those three hours. I don't think that there's any way that they could understand because he was suffering the full measure of the curse. I believe that every with no light, in the middle of the day, so no one had any lanterns. No one could like hold up and say, well, let's see how it's going on up there. No one could do that. It was pitch black. So I believe at that moment, every diabolical disease, every sickness, every every bit of sin was poured into his body. His body was contorting in pain in such suffering that was unimaginable. And he was taking this. During that period, as it went dark, and he was doing it in a measure, in a way, to please the Father. I mean, it just amazes me. Isaiah 53.10 says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. It was the Father's good pleasure to pour out the unimaginable. He experienced every disease known to man. And you got to think about it. His body was experiencing everything that by the stripes on his back, the scripture says that now you were healed. So you can claim your healing, believe in your healing, and just as I love what Anna's saying. They're like going around and, and you know, they're, they're laying hands, and it's like, you're well, you're feeling good? I mean, I mean, Jesus, it works when you believe in his word and you trust in him, his body embodied every disease and sickness. And then he paid it, paid for it on the cross. And by the scourging on his back, the scripture says you were healed. So all you're doing is, is, is receiving the down payment that's already been paid for your sickness, and you're just believing for it, you're claiming it, you're standing on the word, and you're receiving it by faith. It's real simple. You're receiving the good news that you've been healed. Isaiah 53, 9. And his grave was assigned with the wicked men. That is staggering. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Second Corinthians five twenty one. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin that we might be righteous. It is the great exchange. It is the imputed righteousness. He took our sin and he imputed and gave us his righteousness. That is incredible. That we are of the righteousness of Christ. And he did this. That we, would, that we would no longer be separated from God. So that we might have eternal redemption. He had to redeem man from spiritual death. We were all spiritually dead. And Jesus had to redeem that aspect of... That we were destined to live forever separated from God. And Jesus stepped in and said, I will receive that. I will receive the penalty for your sin. That you might be with my father forever. And there was only one way that he could do this. He had to suffer the penalty of the sin. Jesus was holy but he went before us and he received that which we should suffer. And, and he became sinned so that we could receive eternal redemption. And you can understand why he sweat drops of blood. Because he was sinless. And, and, and the sin of the world was poured into him. And he had to suffer it and experience it. Jesus suffered physical death and the consequences of spiritual death. So in that, he experienced the separation from God. He experienced that moment that where he was separated from his Father in darkness, separated from, from the love of his Father, and he, he suffered the ramifications that you and I would experience in hell. He received it took the wrath of his Father so that we could have a hope in in a salvation that is a nail in a sure place. So in that, he satisfied the requirements of the law, and he suffered it all so that we would not have to experience it. So if there's any reason why we should get happy in church, it's because he paid for it all. And we get to live forever with Him. And this is, this is something that we get to hold on to. It's an expectation of a future good, a future hope, a future glory that we're going to. So our blessed hope is that He's suffered the consequences of death and the separation of God. And so that you and I have eternal salvation waiting for us that will last forever and ever and ever. And no one can take it from you. And, and the good news is, is that God's not going to change His mind because you've had a bad day. Or a bad week. Or a bad month. Or year. You've gone through a hard time. That doesn't disqualify you from having salvation. A hope for a future That is there for you. 1 Peter 1. 3-4. I love this scripture that was read today. 1 Peter 1. 3-4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has great mercy. And because of his great mercy. He gave us a new life. He gave us a living hope. Because Jesus Christ rose from death. Now we hope for the blessings, the blessings God has for his children. These blessings are kept for you in heaven. They cannot be destroyed or spoiled or lose their beauty. I love that. This is something that we will have forever and nothing can destroy it. Nothing can spoil it. Nothing can happen that's going to change your mind. Jesus made his grave with the dead. He suffered with the dead. And nobody made him go. He went by choice to receive the wages of sin on your behalf. He suffered the consequences of hell so that you would not have to suffer it. So we give thanks to God, that he suffered it all so that you and me don't have to suffer it. And you know what? I can imagine there came a moment after he had satisfied the judgment of his father, that he had satisfied justice with his father. There came a moment when it was finished. He had completed the work. And I can imagine, you know, at, at some moment, sometime, the corridors of hell were all celebrating. Oh, my gosh, we won. It's over with. We got them. I don't know how we did it, but we got them. Well, that thought did not last very long. It was very short-lived. He only stayed there long enough to satisfy justice. And then there came a great voice from heaven. And it said, turn him loose. He's my son. He's there illegally. Let him go. And I'm sure the foundations of hell shook. And all of a sudden, with an inertia, with with a force and a power, as his son had experienced death, he rose from the grave. And he came out in such power, he first stopped off and looked at, at the devil, and he said, give me what is mine. He said, give me now the keys. They're mine. And he stripped him of the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he stripped him of all, any authority that he had had. And then he, he made a public spectacle of him in front of all of his cronies. He stripped him and he humiliated him in front of all. And in that, he then rose with such force, I'm sure it just took off the hinges off the door of hell. And he came out and then he preached to the righteous that were there, that were asleep. And he said, There's no need for you to stay here. Your resurrection has come. And he led captive the captive. They came out. And some of those righteous were seen in the streets in Jerusalem. And you could really, you really know that it probably really jerked a knot in the, in the religious theology of the Sadducees because they did not believe in the resurrection. When all of a sudden, Uncle Harry, what are you doing here? You've been dead for 20 years. And they were walking the streets. Because of the power of Jesus, as he preached, they came forth out of the graves. So you know that um, it it, kind of got their goad that all of a sudden, family members were walking down the street. It's like, I've heard it said, sad you see. So, So Hebrews 6, 15 through 20, let's look at this verse. So Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled. It was very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves. For the oath will confirm their statements and end all disputes. So in the same way, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit his promises. His purpose was unchangeable. So God added his vow to the promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow will never change. So those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved forevermore. And in God's mind, He's saying, it's not going to change. When you call upon My name, you shall be saved forevermore. The Scripture says, confess with your mouth that He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And it says, and you shall be saved. It's not a maybe, it's a shall. And now it says, and now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. And this is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. You must seize it. You must lay hold of it. You must know that it's not going to change. That he is there forever. And we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor. Holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat in the heavenly realm. Beyond the sacred threshold. And where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. He is now and forever our royal priest like Melchizedek. I want you to read that. In this last verse, we read that Jesus has become now and forever a royal priest. So I want you to note the word forever. He's forever a royal priest. He's entered through the veil as a forerunner for us, having become a royal priest forever forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So our hope is fixed on Christ's royal priesthood that's going to last forever. In other words, it's eternal. It's, it's a priestly, permanently solid position forever. And he lives to make intercession for us forever. So the guarantee of our hope of our eternal salvation is is a good guarantee because it's everlasting, because we have a priest who has gone through the veil who's going to be there forever. So that means we're going to be there forever with him. So what is this guarantee? The guarantee comes from Psalm 110, verse 4. It says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. It says, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn. He's promised. I've made a promise and an oath. Your salvation is secure. It's never going to fade away. No one can ever take it away. Nothing's going to change. My son's blood paid for it. And then we read in verse 17. So in the same way God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forcefully to those who would inherit the promises... His purpose was unchangeable, so God added His vow to the promise. And the second guarantee is that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is which is Ephesians three thirteen. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. He sealed you; He's bought you. Your salvation is a guarantee. And I I reflect back on this because the hope of our salvation gives me the assurance of knowing that I can always, by virtue of the blood of the Lamb, I can run into the throne room of grace where my Father is and I can cry out, Abba Father, Papa, I thank you. There's nothing stopping me from coming and being in your presence with you. Why are anchors... So important. Because we read. We just read about the anchor of our hope. Anchors have saved my life. I was offshore fishing when I fished offshore deep sea for quite a few years. I was off 20 miles offshore. And a nor'easter blew in. A nor'easter, when it comes in, it can be very violent with the wind. And the waves are very, uh, very large. It was freezing and it was in December. And... And the waves were 20-foot seas. Were off, we're off 20 miles, and we could not get back to shore. So the only thing that we could do was to ride out the storm. And we had to drop the anchor. I dropped the anchor, and I've, I, we anchored up. And finally, it took hold on the bottom or the rocks. And once we were anchored up, we were in 20-foot seas. And Jack will tell you, those, those are pretty high. He's been in 30-foot. I don't want 30-foot. I like my 20. So, you can have your 30. All right. So, I mean, when you're in the middle of 20-foot seas, it's like a wall of water on both sides of you. You can't see in any direction. And I'm sitting there, and once we anchored up this, this vessel, and we were anchored up, then we had to sleep through the night. And I had to sleep on the engine block just to keep warm. And in that, as we, and, and, and I could go to sleep you got to realize, I mean, this boat is going like this. And, 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 and I'm able to sleep soundly. Why? Because there was an anchor hooked to the bottom that was going to carry me through the storm. And I could go to sleep. And that is the anchor that's holding your salvation that when you're going through the storms of life, you're going through the struggles, you're going through the heartache and the pain, and you're wondering, is it ever going to come to an end? You can have an anchor in your soul that's going to tell you, you will be with Him forever. Your salvation is sure. You're never going to lose it. I also love anchors because when I was coming in shore, I was in a smaller vessel, and I was coming around the jetty and some of you don't aren't familiar with it. Jetties are made that are entry points into the intercoastal Waterway, and at the end of jetties are like these big boulders that are huge, and they're all on the on the sides of the inner of the uh, of the jetty. So I'm just not having a good old time, and I'm just puttering around the jetty, and I'm coming in, and right there at the jetty is where some of the most turbulent water is because you have the 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 rising tide and the falling tide. And the waves are really big, and the water is very treacherous. Well, I'm coming around the corner, just enjoying it. It was such a beautiful day. So I was coming around the corner, getting ready to go back into the boat dock. And all of a sudden, my motor kicked off and froze up right there in front of the jetty. That is not where you want your boat to stop. I freaked out. And... I, I'm sitting there going, and, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing these big rocks, and my boat is afloat. Is, it's adrift. I can't do anything about it. And I, I, I start panicking. And then all of a sudden, you know, this big 40-foot Bertram just come right by me. You know, it was a big, nice boat. And I'm saying, hey, stop, come help me. He said, I'm not putting my boat near those rocks. And I said, oh, Please. He said, throw the anchor. I'm like, oh yeah, oh well, yeah, I can't believe I didn't think of that. So so I I throw the anchor out, and then finally it gets down and it hits the hits the rock bottom, and all of a sudden the anchor sets. You can feel it when it sets. And then all of a sudden, my boat stopped. If this was the rock wall, my boat was right here. And my boat, I'm watching it. It's just bobbing up on the water because it had stopped and I'm sitting here looking at this rock face and I'm realizing oh my goodness thank you Lord for the anchor oh you guys you don't realize what this moment's like only Jack would really know so so I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden I realize I got to call the eight eight, it's 1-800 emergency tow service so they have a tugboat that comes out and gets you so I called him, and I said, hurry, hurry. So he's, so he's coming out. You know, he like, felt like he just took his time. You know, I'm like, what's the deal? So finally he gets there, and I, I can finally rest in knowing that my anchor has held up my boat. So I'm sitting there, and finally I'm like, eh, I'm glad you're here. So he, he pulls up alongside my boat, and he ties up my boat, and then he, he, we release the anchor, and then he pulls me away from the rocks. So we're tooling around the jetty. We're heading on back into into shore and he looked at me he says you know what you're really lucky and I said I know I am <laughs> but I'm glad that anchor held he said I, I had to come out here last week and a guy was right in the same spot where you were and he died because his boat hit the rocks I was like whew thank you Lord I mean that's just tragic but I could rest assured in knowing that that anchor held me and I wasn't going to hit the rocks. And that is the solid foundation on which you and I stand. There is an anchor inside of you. So when the time gets tough, drop the anchor. Don't just sit there and try to figure out what you're going to do to get out of this mess. Drop the anchor of your hope that is in Jesus That he is there to help you in every situation. Don't freak out just because life is not going your way. Drop the anchor. Let it stabilize you. Let it hold you. Let it just wrap its arms around you. And let you know that he's going to see you through everything. I love what Joe Jane says. You know that if you can stand the pole. He's going to pull you through it. Just hold on. Hold on to the rope. He's going to pull you through every situation. So in that, we can be rest assured in knowing that the outcome for our life has got forever written over it. We are forever with Him. So we can trust that our salvation has been paid in full by His blood. And we will one day be with God forever. And that He's not going to change His mind. And that is our hope. This is our assurance of our salvation. It is the anchor to our soul. And we can trust in that truth. So I want to say again, forever is a long time. You need to get to know each other. You need to realize that you're going to be having a lot of meals together forever with our glorious Savior who won the victory, who did defeated death, hell, and the grave for you so that you wouldn't have to experience it. That is a mighty Savior. Is He not a mighty God? He is a mighty God. That we can give a glorious hallelujah that he has paid it all done it all so that we don't have to experience it and i'm i am so grateful to my lord that you know this year is the year smita you know what that means in hebrew it's the hebrew calendar it's called smita every seven years on the jewish calendar you were released from all of your debts You're released from all of the consequences of your sin. Smita means that when the accounting of your life is read at the bottom, it's a debt that you could not pay. And Jesus looks down at that debt and looks at his father. And he says, Father, I'm going to pay for that debt with my blood. And he stamps your sheet. And it says, paid for in full by my blood. And he releases you from the guilt of your sin, from the guilt of all that you've gone through, from the self-condemnation. It's a year of release. He's releasing you from the consequences of your sin. He's releasing you from all that you've been through. So in this Shemitah year... You need to receive the good news that when Jesus looks at your spreadsheet and says, my, my, my. And you look at it and you're like, I can't pay that. He says, I can. And my blood's going to pay for all of it. And he stamps it paid for in full. So you're free today. You're released today. You're able to walk in freedom because Jesus has paid the price of your sin. Amen? Amen. So let's stand. Father, we thank You and we praise You that, Lord, You suffered the consequences of hell itself, of being separated from Your Father. And we thank You, Father, and we praise You that Your Son, Jesus, has won the victory so that we can rest in the assurance of our blessed hope that we will be with Him Forever and ever and ever. And God, you will not change your mind. So, Father, we praise you and we thank you for this glorious hope that we have. It's a rest, it's a blessed assurance. And Lord, I ask today that there would be a release from those who would be in guilt or in condemnation. That, Lord Jesus, that you would wipe away the debt, that you would clean the slate, that you would show them that they are free. And to whom the Son is set free is free indeed. So let freedom come to this house. Let freedom come to your people. And Lord Jesus, we want to say thank you for all that you've done for us, for going to the cross And dying for our sin. And we bless you and we praise you, Father. And we worship you with all of our hearts. And Lord, I ask now if there be anyone in this room that has never called upon the name of the Lord. That Lord, this day, they would cry out to you. They would cry out to you in need and call upon your name. And you would hear the cry of their hearts. And that Lord you would forgive them of their sin. And cleanse them of all unrighteousness. And give them a future and a hope. And a purpose. Lord I pray right now by your spirit. If there will be anybody here. That is not called upon your name. The Lord today would be the day. The Lord they will lift up their voice. And ask for you to come in. And be with them. And forgive them. Lord, I ask right now that there would be no one that would leave who is not called on your name. So, Lord, I pray right now. Move in this church. And I'm asking, Lord, that by your Spirit, just as you're giving visions and dreams to people in Bali. You're showing yourself as 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 the resurrected King walking on the water. You're showing yourself to your people in so many forms. I'm asking, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to one here that might not know you. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for doing that. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, Amen, Amen.